What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of Filmmaker U. And every week we bring you an interview with a film professional to explore the craft of filmmaking. And of course, this week is no different. I'm interviewing Timothy Good and Emily Mendez to discuss their work on the hit show, The Last of Us, based on the critically acclaimed video game of the same name. When talking to them, we discussed two scenes specifically and how they like to approach editing them. Now, if you like this interview, you're going to love FilmmakerU.com's courses where we bring in the best of the industry to discuss their craft. You can get 10% off at filmmakeru.com using the promo code the cutting room all one word the cutting room now with all that said here's my interview with timothy and emily to discuss their work on the last of us now i do have to ask because i was going through your bios before this and i noticed that tim you referenced architecture in yours and then emily you've you referenced it in yours as well what is the relationship between architecture and editing that made you both sort of feel it was important to to reference I'm happy to start this because I grew up in Oak Park, Illinois, which was a uh, architectural town. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright did all of his early work there uh, for 20 years. And so I was always surrounded by it and fascinated by it. And it was one of the first things I did as a child was I went to that uh, Frank Lloyd Wright house and they had these building blocks that were called, you know, Wright blocks. Uh, And then you could build little things with it. And as a child, so that was the first thing I was doing was building things. And then, of course, you know, as the older I got, it was Legos, and then it was model airplanes, and then it was, you know, other big things. And so architecture was all about detail, and it was all about building from pieces. And then when I started editing, I recognized that not only is editing building from pieces, but it shares a lot of the same principles as architecture in terms of space and compression and expansion of that space, um, and also the art of simplification. Uh, and and how to not overdo something and over decorate uh, mm-hmm. and and how you know form follows function, which was a big Louis Sullivan uh, uh, architectural theory uh, that you know the way you you build something uh, affects how it is received. It's a very similar concept. And so for me, architecture has always had a really big uh, basis in how I build uh, as an editor. Yeah, and then for me, it's it's very similar. I you know Tim has been a great mentor to me, and I've picked up a lot of his tricks. And the idea of looking at editing, looking at editing as an architectural build in a way has really changed kind of my whole perspective on editing. And uh, it, it's it's something that I've really picked up from Tim that I use all the time now. What were, what were some of the tricks or techniques that you picked up from him? The biggest technique that I've picked up from Tim is having the patience to watch through all the dailies while looking at it as preparing your ingredients for a recipe. That's something that Tim really taught me. I always used to struggle with this feeling of like, oh, I just want to cut. I just want to be editing. You know, I I start watching dailies and then I really want to get into it. But Tim has helped teach me this patience of watching through everything and in your mind you're kind of being like okay well this piece might be good for this moment and this piece might be good for that moment and throwing down markers as we go to help us remember what we're thinking as we're watching the footage because it's the first time you're experiencing the footage and and it's the it's the best time to see like oh how do i respond to this naturally in this first moment i'm viewing this and so really taking that time to watch through it uh is is a big deal and it's helped me so much and they're like cornerstones you know you you know when you watch things through with patience you start developing the cornerstones of the structure 
uh, and you go, okay, this is going to work for this. This is going to work for that. And suddenly the, almost the structure, you know, creates itself as you're watching it. Uh, and you start to, to, to build it in your head before you even put it down. Yeah, it's really cool because you'll be like, oh, this is a great emotion that I'm feeling here. But then this other piece is really good for geography and this piece is really good for clarity. And so you just start building those pieces. And by the time you're done watching dailies, you have a really good idea for the skeleton of your scene. So now, yeah. Tim, I do have to ask, is sure. Frank Lloyd Wright your favorite architect or is beyond? There... Yes. No, it's like, I don't know, hometown boy. I have to. So it's uh, my <laughs> absolute favorite. I I'm very, very happy that in Los Angeles we have four of them. Uh, and mm. so I get to go hang out and 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 revisit. My, I guess my first question for you guys is like, how did you guys get onto this project and, and get involved with it? Oh, uh, oh my gosh. So it's kind of crazy. Um, I am actually friends, sort of. I mean, I am now, but I was friendly with Craig Mazin through my husband. They were friends because they were both writers. And so Craig would come over to our house for dinner parties and with his wife and a couple other writers and whatnot. And uh, we would just sort of have weird, sometimes weird foods. Um, and and we would dare each other to eat them. And it was just sort of a fun time. But that was when he was writing comedies. And uh, one dinner party, like four or five years ago, he brought the trailer for Chernobyl with him and said, guys, I just made this thing. And it was incredible. And we watched it and I was just like shocked. And I said, I know I'm just right now, I'm, you know, the husband in the corner serving you your cocktail, um, but I'm also an editor uh, and I would really love it. I would, I would do anything to work on whatever you do next. And I was, I was dogged in that because I, as soon as he announced Last of Us, my husband says, uh, he also writes video games as well. He said, that's a really great one. You, this is, you know, this is an amazing story. You should really try and get on this. Um, and so we tried, you know, and it, and it was like, it was a hard path because, you know, HBO has their people that they like, uh, and I didn't, hadn't done one. And so, uh, but it turns out one of our Umbrella Academy directors was also going to be doing two episodes. So with, with that as our, you know, sort of tailwind, we were able to find our way onto the show. And uh, after that, it just uh, somehow through the miracle of, of, of dovetailing styles, uh, Emily and I became uh, the, the people that Craig really trusted. And you guys went up to Calgary to to cut. How did you... I did for about three months. Emily at the time was still my assistant editor, so she was mm -hmm. uh, still in Los Angeles working remotely with me, which was very hard for me because we have such a symbiotic relationship and we're always constantly talking in real time. And so I would spend a lot of my day just on the phone with her because I was just like, "All right, let's talk about this scene. Let's talk about that scene," you know. Uh, yeah. But yes, I was up there, and I was uh, I I loved Canada. I loved Calgary. Um, I loved the mountains. I loved being uh, close to set. I, I was never on set except for once for just like a moment. Um, but I loved being close to the production because you really got a, a sense of the camaraderie that was built uh, by Craig and Neil. The, the whole team was this really wonderful family and everyone was treated so well and they treated us so well. It was great. I loved it. Did you guys play video games before? I mean, Tim, you referenced that your, your partner rights for video games but do you guys play yeah. last of us before you started cutting or excellent question and the answer yeah. is i did not and emily did uh and and what was strange is you would think that i i would play video games but i i just don't a i as an editor it's a little hard because it's a very uh, all-encompassing all sort of job and i put a lot of detail and in, into it so i'm usually working a, a decent day uh but at the same time you know uh I just didn't, I just didn't have the time also to, to, to sort of research it. 
uh, when we got the job. And so I decided as a risk to take not to play it so that I could be the ambassador for the audience members that had not played the game. That said, Emily, you might want to continue now and tell us about your experience with this. Sure. I had played the game a couple years before, and it had always been one of my favorite games because it has such a beautiful story. And mm -hmm. it was one of the first games that I really connected with on a personal level. So when Tim told me that we could be moving on to this show, I was like, this, this is awesome. Like this, this is the best video game. Like I, I was so excited. And so really, yeah, we were kind of thrown into it and we would just approach it where if there was anything special that I knew was game related that Tim maybe wouldn't pick up on, like I would tell him like, Hey, this is Ellie's iconic red shirt from the game. Like people will know what that is, you know, cause we had all this montage footage where they're going through all this stuff in Bill and Frank's house. And there was a little, a little piece where Ellie pulls out this red shirt. And I said to him, I was like, that's really important. So just making sure we were incorporating things like that from the beginning that Neil and Craig would have gotten into the cut eventually, but it really helped that Tim and I just had that in from the beginning. So it was just like ready to go. If I'm not mistaken, it's, I never played the game. So maybe you can uh, update me, but episode three, I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, that wasn't in the game. No, that's correct. It's, yeah. it's it is not in the game, but it is Which, it is it is referenced in the game. The, the relationship. Fascinating so. is it's almost like um, the opening of up, where it's this like perfect <laughs> sort of story. So how did you like? Did you guys look to up? Did you what did you guys do for for cutting that? Uh, we looked to nothing. We honestly looked to the screenplay that Craig wrote. Um, the mm -hmm. screenplay that Craig wrote was still my favorite piece of writing uh, on any sort of television or film I've ever done um, or, you know, frankly looked at. Uh, yeah. It is it is a stunning piece of writing. Uh, and it was so emotional for me to read that uh, as a gay man who is a Frank in the relationship with a Bill. Um, I understood these characters very deeply. I understood the, the language between them. Um, and so I was taking it not from looking, referencing anything other than my own lived experiences and the document that Craig wrote. Um, and it was the first thing that we were assigned, which was also unbelievable that literally my, my rotation just lands right there. And I'm like, well, this is an amazing uh, circumstance. Um, and then Emily and I, you know, as, as, as gay people c collaborated on this, as we always do. Like, I always talk with Emily about any scene I'm doing. She gives me feedback and then I would give her uh, several scenes in this episode to edit on her own under you know my tutelage uh, as always and it allowed her to then showcase her skill as an editor to Craig as we finished it but in general in, in terms of approaching it uh, episode three it was about approaching it in the way that Craig approached the screenplay which was through a character lens uh, the lens of character and nuance and everything was based on uh, how these characters related and the strengths and the connections that were designed between them uh, and the connections that Craig created in the script between uh, location and the, and the passage of time. That was, that was how we did it. No, we never looked outside. Well, the thing I loved about it though, was it's literally because a lot of people, when they first see or hear about the last of us, they think it's a zombie though. And so like, there's a few people who I would, they would be like, ah, I'm not into zombies. And I'd be like, watch episode three first. I know it's out of order, Watch yeah. that because then you can see here's it's that's the background sort of atmosphere, I guess you would almost call it is like the zombies are the atmosphere and yeah. the stories are within. Yeah, uh, the zombies are the extras. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
So oh, yeah, no, it's really quite true, actually. We had talked before we came on air about different scenes that you guys might want to talk about. And Emily, you chose to talk about when Joel picks up Ellie in the surgery room. Yeah. I guess, can you give us a sense of, you know, how you approach that scene? So that's a really special scene because we're coming off of this giant montage that Tim cut and that I was lucky to do the sound sound design on uh, where we're really in Joel's mind where he's going through this hospital. He's trying to find Ellie and he's just killing all these people because he just needs to get to her. He needs to save her. So this scene where he gets to this OR, he's finally found her. And we the way that I approached it when I was first cutting it was just sticking with his point of view. Like we're with him. And, you know, when I was watching through the dailies, they're just, it's so tense. And so I wanted to keep that feeling because we're so in Joel's mind of him seeing this girl who's now to him, his baby girl, like his, like his daughter, his person that he's protecting. And so we, when we're with him, he's walking in, we see his face. We see that he's, he's going to save her at this point. And what is interesting with that scene as well is like when this this doctor comes at him, he kills that doctor in an instant because it, it, it's so shocking in that moment. And I think it's it's really cool because we've had this whole sequence where he's killed all these people, but it's all kind of in the background because we worked really hard to kind of keep with the sound design where we're in Joel's mind versus like in the real world. And then when we get to the scene in the OR, we're kind of back in the real world again. So to me, that like moment just hits so hard. And then um, we kind of go into this beautiful emotional musical cue where he's picking up Ellie and we have this gorgeous close up shot where he's kind of cradling her like he brings mm -hmm. her up and he's like, I got you. And so I just love that scene because there's not really a lot of dialogue in it and it's just so emotional. And I just feel felt like you feel so much with him and it, and it just shows us also just like the development of these characters where they've gotten to at the end of the season and and I found it to be a beautiful scene to work on one of the things I remember from watching that scene was the sort of tension and the suspense in there so when you were going through the footage I guess going back to that cooking analogy like how did you utilize the footage or go through the footage to figure out how to build the tension here Sure. So there were a couple shots we had that were like close-ups of Ellie with like like a mask on for like the anesthesia and like the there was also like uh there were just some different surgery like B-roll shots which I incorporated but not until Joel was seeing her like so I wanted to like stay with him. So it's like I saw those and I was like those are great but I don't want to show them until he's looking. So then we're mm -hmm. staying in his POV. And then there was also a shot of um, I, they played a lot with some slow motion shots and and camera. And um, there was one specifically where Joel comes through the door, like through the surgical door. He's in the room. Mm -hmm. And I liked that moment of him entering and like us, like being there with him coming into that room. Like so there were just moments like that where I was just like where I was feeling that emotion and I was just marking those kind of things. Um, and I think when you're using those elements, but also building them in a way where it's like, okay, well, I don't want to show this B-roll shot until he's there. And I don't want to show him, you know, talking to the surgeons until he's actually in the room. And we've seen his face waiting for those moments to actually allow that tension to hit. I think it works really well. Now you, you mentioned it's, you did it from his perspective. So was the footage shot in a way so that you could get it from multiple perspectives or was it primarily focused from his perspective? I mean, I, 
really with the footage, you could cut it in a way where you could have been showing them working on Ellie before mm -hmm. he even entered, because, you know, they're always capturing, they generally will capture the actors walking in to the scene. So we had footage of him walking into the room, looking at the surgeons through the window of kind of this like little entry hallway before he goes into the surgery room. Um, so in theory, yeah, you could have definitely done, uh, some cuts with the surgery team before he even entered, but that was a specific choice we made to wait. In the process of saving Ellie, she may be the cure also. So as an editor, were you like upset that he's not saving humanity <laughs> or are you <laughs> happy that they get to, to keep Ellie? That's a good question. I try to always approach the editing as a character-based kind of idea so mm -hmm. in that scene I was approaching it as this is Joel's scene so for me in that moment when I'm looking at footage and I'm editing I'm pulling stuff based on how he's feeling because I want to be with him and for me I think that I'm so like heavily connected to these characters like I don't really care what I think I kind of just like care what they think and so I, I definitely am more just like honed in on Joel. And then also I love Ellie. So I'm also just very much on the side of like, we need to save Ellie. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just kind of the obvious thing. But but ultimately when I'm working, I'm just always trying to stick to like the story, stick to the characters and just do the truest thing for, for those things. Yeah, well, anything that makes you feel like uncomfortable is good, I think. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like anything that's like, ooh, this is, ooh, what, what, he's doing something that's, I don't know. So well, that's always it, like, success for me well then that's like the gray areas because you're like yeah. yay they're back together but then at the same time but, you're like humanity. but nay we're we're gonna die yeah we're all gonna, yeah. we're all yeah. gonna die you mentioned sort of like play, i guess placing yourself in that emotional position when you're looking at the rushes like how do you all right and this is a terrible question now that i think of it but <laughs> i'm gonna go with it anyways <laughs> how do you tell when the performance is authentic in, in it for something that uh, emotional that's actually a great question by the way and it's never been asked of us and i think no, it's a think really it's great, great question i think yeah, it's so. really good and i think the best. probably for every editor it's going to be different for me it's a feeling i get if mm -hmm. i'm watching dailies and i and i'm watching a performance and i i have a feeling in my stomach like oh my god like this feels like this is happening i will always mark it so for me, I judge it based on feeling and, and just what I experience. And it's, it's why this goes back to, you know, when we're first watching the footage and why it's so important to be patient and take the time to watch through it all is just when you first have that reaction and you have the feeling of, oh, like that look that Joel is giving when he's mm -hmm. walking through that door made me feel something. That's how I, how I judge it. I have a, it's very similar to me. Um, it's, it's based on, uh, it's, it's, it's that, and it's also a very high, in my opinion, uh, maybe it's not for others. I have a very high bullshit meter. Like I just, I, I just go, nope, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. I'm like, freaking, <laughs> you know, I'm poker face, you know, I'm just bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. No, I don't believe it. You don't say it and in front of the director. I don't though, say right? it in front of them. No, of course not. <laughs> but I still have this thing where I just go that I don't know. And it has to convince me, and I'm a really tough judge. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it it it's one of those things. And I also I'm, I'm very aware, and I and I over time I've adjusted uh, my own taste is adjusted, I should say. And uh, it's been it's been helped along by a lot of people. Actually, I shouldn't say it's all me. 
help me understand that some that sometimes the largest performance is not the is not the best you know and mm-hmm. and and oftentimes the largest performance is the one that's seeking attention and and, and it doesn't need it um, and so mm-hmm. you have to look for the performances that that are that are the ones that will cause the audience to want to uh instead of react to interact um and so you want to go closer to the character as opposed to just allow the character to you know sort of uh present things to you um and so i look for that as well uh sometimes i'll be like oh that was a really hot moment that was really great and i'm like but do they need to be that big i don't know i don't think so in fact if i let me try a version where it's it's not as big because again you're building uh, over time and sometimes maybe you go all right now at the three-quarter mark of when the the argument is really truly important maybe now we allow them to 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 get big uh, because you built it all along that way. So it's sort of similar in, in that respect. Uh, and if I if I may, I want to go back to uh, Emily's scene um, and just talk about one thing she did that I just loved in the opening of that is originally it was uh, it was staged in such a way that everyone reacted to Joel as soon as he walked in. Um, and they were like, oh, who, ah, ah. And Emily designed it so that he gets this private moment and he walks in and, and it's, and, you know, cause we have the sort of the sound sort of is a little bit, you know, more uh, uh, in his head still. And so he gets this moment to see her and you have that connection moment with uh, her and him. And then he says, you know, unhook her and that causes them to turn around versus originally he just sort of walks in and goes unhook her. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and what Emily did there was, I think, critical to the success of understanding why Joel would do what he does because he gave she gave that uh that beat uh the the weight that it required before he decides to do that and and the unhooker brings us right into the real of the mm-hmm. scene and then again that gunshot uh at at full fidelity at this point is as a major contrast to how the previous sequence worked and as Emily described uh causes you to have causes that to have much more impact so I just wanted to give yeah, kudos over there yeah. to you. And, and that whole idea came forth when I was watching the dailies. Cause I, I watched that performance and I thought, Oh my God, Pedro is so good in this moment. Like th- we need to have this moment in the scene. And so my question was, how do I get this piece in there? How do I make it work? Well, what if I stall and allow him to see that? So, so that's kind of an example of how that all starts to work and how the architecture starts to build itself. Now, Tim, you also had a scene. Do you want to give us uh, some background on the scene? Sure, absolutely. Uh, And this is a really cool sequence um, that uh, is in the sixth episode. And it's when Joel and Ellie are captured uh, by they who they, you know, basically raiders. They don't know who's capturing them and they're all on horseback. Um, And it was a really intricate scene. uh, And it had a lot of moving parts, A, because there were a ton of horses uh, and then there were a ton of people. But also I was utilizing this methodology that we had been using this entire time, which is point of view and character-based editing. And it's always based on how you can attach the the audience as much as you can to the central characters and the dynamic between them. Uh, And so every single instance in that sequence was based on how Joel and Ellie feel trapped Mm -hmm. and how they get separated and how it feels when they're separated and how Joel starts to have uh, the, the second panic attack uh, uh, of his experience in this episode when he's recognizing that there's a there's a dog that can sniff out the cordyceps infection and utilizing uh, all of the sort of the powers of a point of view 
it was always about staying with uh, Pedro as Joel when you see this dog approach um, Ellie and you go into Pedro's mind and all of a sudden you start seeing shots of the dog that don't make sense because they're from no one's point of view. They're like low and to the side as opposed to frontal. And one of the things I really loved about editing that is it gave you a sense that Joel's imagining now what's happening. He's seeing in his own mind what's happening. Uh, and so we're sort of processing. And then the sound uh, of the of, uh, of of the dog attack became more internal to his head uh, in a sequence, a sound sequence that Emily helped us design, of course, as always. Uh, she designed this, this sort of uh, uh, panic attack sequence from the, the pilot to this point. Uh, mm-hmm. And it allowed the audience to really feel that he had no control over it and we never showed the moment where the dog interacts uh with ellie because we're we feel like and i always felt uh that pedro as joel his reaction is so much more interesting than to see what actually happens than to reveal the result uh after it is done and so and 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 for that reason i i love the scene and then there's also a really interesting thing in the scene is that there's a character uh maria who has introduced in the scene uh, and she uh, used to have a lot of lines. She used to have a lot more lines in the scene. And we also didn't know how to introduce her necessarily. And I decided that I wanted to build a relationship between Ellie and Maria early on. And so I started using sort of uh, couplets to show that Maria, this, char- this, this character, this sort of a black woman cowboy is, is uh, on this horse looking at Ellie. And she's connecting with her because they're ultimately going to share a connection in this episode. And, and I wanted to start building that from, from that ground level. Uh, and so when ultimately the character of Maria comes forward to introduce herself, you know, we keep her very mysterious, uh, but we've already known that she's very, very close and connected to Ellie. Um, and so uh, in, in those respects, that scene to me is a, is a really great example of how the, even though we have this amazing, all these amazing vistas, in you know the Canadian wilderness, it's unreal. It's beautiful. Uh, it was always based on how we were uh, focusing on how the characters were interacting within the scenes. Where's the tension there? Uh, and that's how I. That's why I love that scene. So it sounded like you cut down some of the dialogue mm-hmm. when you're working with the director. How do you do? You usually present like here's the full cut with everything you've wanted, like that was in the script, and then work it down. Or do you like to go in and just be like, here's my vision for the scene? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, you know, and and it sort of depends on who you're working with. And in uh, in my instance, I like to give directors the full cut, the 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 everything. Um, my belief is that if you show uh, the the initial filmmaker, as it were, the director, every piece of film that they did in a way that respects the the scene, the story, and what was written, then instead of saying, "Oh, you lost." I don't, did you lose lines here? Like being confused as to what was done. If something, for example, isn't working, you may start to to question your own abilities, your own confidences, whatnot, as opposed to saying, oh, here's everything. Here's the best version I can do, given how it was written, given how you filmed it, given all the pieces you did. Um, Here's that version. And this is my interpretation of that version in the best, in its best form. And then they can say, okay, great. You have all the beats. Now you have 12 beats. We probably only need four beats. So very cool. Uh, and now let's like, why don't we, you know, accelerate this area? We don't need these pauses here between these characters or these looks between these characters, because I want to save them for this part. And so instead of working on it from a perspective of what else do we have, or 
can we figure out an idea? It's a it's a it's a question of subtraction uh, and sculpting. Uh, and I just prefer that methodology. And, and in, in this case, it was similar. It was like, we saw all these lines, we had all these lines in, and then over the course of working on it with uh, Craig, actually, it was about making it more mysterious. And the less people say, the more mysterious they become. My other question for you about this is you, you talked about the dog and like sort of building that suspense. Mm -hmm. And when I think about suspense, it's all about sort of it's almost like a cat and mouse game with the audience it's like how much information am I going to reveal to make you uncomfortable that's right suspenseful so like how did you find that balance because I feel like that would be something very tricky to execute like did you have to do like I guess how did you approach that to build this yeah no and it was what I really liked about the the creating the suspense in that sequence it was about how Pedro uh, Joel and Ellie responded to the dog's introduction and the mm-hmm. dog's introduction comes sort of shockingly out of nowhere. It's like, you know, boom. And then you see the dog. And, and then once it's revealed that the dog can sniff out an, uh, an, uh, an infected, there's a there was a great uh, couplet of looks where Joel looks over to Ellie and Ellie looks over to Joel. And it's like, you can't, you don't do anything. Don't do anything. And, and that direction to him to not do anything is you know, a father's worst nightmare or, you know, someone who's mm-hmm. pretending he's not a father. Um, it's an, it's a nightmare to, to, to watch that happen and to have her have done that, to have her say, don't do anything, you know, whatever happens, you know, if it kills me, it kills me. That creates, I think the tension in the audience of he's now, uh, he's now been told by her not to protect her. And that creates even more uh, tension between the characters. So when the dog is approaching um, uh, the Ellie character and she's just sort of backing up from it, but, you know, and then now Joel knows he can't do anything because she's already said, don't do it. So if I do it, then maybe she has a plan. Maybe she does. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is. Is there a plan? I, I have no idea. So all these questions that Joel must have about what's about to happen should be shared by the audience. And so in, in terms of building that tension, uh, that's how I approached it. Now, you've been really generous with your time, guys. So I have one last question for you. What okay, you if you need your... more, you can. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, I was going to ask, what is your favorite guilty pleasure film or TV show to watch? Of course. Yeah. Emily, go ahead. Okay, mine is a YouTube show and it is called Carmilla. And it is, it has three seasons, I believe. And I have rewatched this so many times. They ended up making a movie as well. And it is a love story about a college student and another college student who ends up being a vampire. They're both women. And it is something that I will rewatch on a rainy day. And I love, and it's low budget and just a lot of really campy crazy storylines going on and it's like a single camera just sitting at a desk and it's like they're talking to a computer the whole time but there's so much happening and i just love it it's crazy and great is it campy like they know it's campy but oh yeah okay they totally lean into it and they're they'll come like running into the room and tell you all these crazy things that have happened on campus and and it's just like it's just so funny, so out there. But then you have this like cute little romance. And so that's that's my guilty pleasure show. I watch it all the time. How about yourself, Tim? Oh, my God. I'm not as interesting. Um, <laughs> mine is honestly House Hunters International. Um, I love House Hunters International, not House Hunters. I don't care about anything in America. <laughs> it has to be international. But I, it has to be international because I don't know why, but I guess 
being in a small darkened room for 12 hours a day for months on a time makes me want to explore other places and I can't. So I, I just love watching other people do that. And I go, and I love, and I love, of course, being judgmental. So this is a wonderful yeah. thing. You know, I get to go, no, not that one, this one. And why would you do that? And this and that. So I get very, I get very invested in these, these crazy characters. Um, and then inevitably I'm, I, I turn to my husband and go, you know, we could live in Italy. So, <laughs> you know, where, where is the one location that you would want to live? Honestly, all right, this is so loaded, but it's going to be the location I just visited, Norway. I oh, yeah. love Norway. Love Norway. Um, yeah. I was I was just there uh, recently for uh, an amazing event, uh, Nordic Media Days, and I got to be in Bergen and Oslo. And it was just the most lovely place to be. Everyone was so incredibly uh, friendly. And if they weren't, they they were very clear that it's not a, anything against me. It's just the way they are. So, yeah. And I was even told this. They're like, oh, you know, we're just, you know, don't expect us to like, you know, come up and hug you. So it's not going to happen. And I kind of like that. So I was like, good, good. I don't have to do, you know, like, no pleasantries necessary. Um, and it was just a wonderful place to be. Uh, and it was a beautiful uh, uh, location, not just that, but um, it's a great society. Uh, and I just loved uh, the way that they live. I had a friend who had to go do a mix in Norway. Oh, wow. And he said he was like, it was the best experience he's ever had because everyone was just straightforward and blunt. And yeah. he's like, so there was no like dancing around trying to get, it'd be like, I don't like it. And this is why <laughs> he said yeah. it was the fastest. He's like, we moved fastest so fast. ever. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview today, guys. Thank yeah. You thank so you very guys. much. for So that was my interview with Timothy and Emily. I'd like to thank them for allowing me to interview them. I'd also like to thank Evan Winch for cutting this episode, as well as Jason Banky for producing this episode. I'm Gordon Raquel. Thanks for listening.